Thanks, Brandy. Morning, everybody. I was gone on staycation last week, but I'm back today. And today we are starting the book of Ecclesiastes. Oh, I've been waiting for this for so long. I'm so excited. It's part of our ongoing teaching series on the topic of wisdom. Ecclesiastes is an ancient book found in the Old Testament portion of your scripture. It's actually right after the book of Proverbs. And we don't even know who the author is in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm getting a lot of feedback in my ear. Sorry. Can we turn? Is there an amp on up here or something? There you go. Perfect. That's much. Nope. There you go. Okay. We're working on it. All right. We don't even know who the author is in the book of Ecclesiastes. Some people think it was Solomon, but we're not told. We're just told it's this mysterious character known as Coelette or the teacher which is awesome in my mind because anytime there's a mystery writer in a book, that just adds to the coolness factor of that book. I'm still getting lots of feedback. Sorry. Is there something up here that I can turn off? No? Right here? Right here? Huh. Okay. There you go. That's better. All right. Great. Now, Ecclesiastes is different than all the other wisdom writings in the Bible. It's very unconventional, and it's odd. The wisdom you discover is so odd and foreign. Ecclesiastes is kind of like your weird uncle from Poughkeepsie that visits during your family reunions, causing all of you to say, why is that guy here? Why is he even a part of our family? He's just so weird. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. That's why most people don't read it. Probably hardly any of us in this building have read the entire book of Ecclesiastes. It's why most pastors don't preach on it. And it is why, honestly, some scholars, many scholars, don't even believe it should be part of the scripture. But I love it. I love it in all its weirdness because Ecclesiastes isn't afraid to go to the dark places. It's not afraid to rant and rave about life's injustices and troubles. It's so raw and so real, and the honesty is so refreshing that you find in Ecclesiastes. But it's also a little bit shocking. As you make your way through the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll be shocked, and at times you'll think, wow, this Coalette person, this teacher, this mysterious teacher, he must have been listening to too much Depeche Mode or My Chemical Romance music because this is so dour and depressing. Yeah, it is, but when you look closer, it's also full of life. Ecclesiastes is really for all the people who have taken a close look that, of all that's going on around them and all that's going on inside of their life and thought to themselves, what kind of fresh turkey hell have I got myself into? That's Ecclesiastes. See, other wisdom writings have formulas. Formulas that say, if you do this, God will do this. Or if you take this path, good things will happen in your life. And formulas are great. I'm not knocking them. Sometimes formulas even work, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes, and you know this, you can say all the right things, you can do all the right things, you can pray all the right things, and your life still disintegrates into a dumpster fire. Ecclesiastes is for you. That's the beauty of the book. It's a book for all the people who know that you can do all the right things, that you can follow all the formulas and still feel like you're getting screwed. So let me read some verses out of chapter 1 and chapter 2 today, and let these words roll over you. Don't check out your brains. Feel the weight. Feel the significant. Feel the angst that the writer has in these words. And this is a bigger chunk of scripture than I normally read, but here we go. I'll pop it up on the screen. 
Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. You can feel the despair there. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? No, it was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. Even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless. They're just chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ever ruled Jerusalem before me. So he's doesn't have an issue with self-confidence here. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is simply a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. So the more you know, the sadder you get. That's what he's saying. Next slide. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water the groves of flourishing trees. I had it all. I bought male and female slaves. Not good. Had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. So he's wealthy. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and province. I acquired male and female singers. I don't know why. Why would you want to do that? I'm rich. What should I spend my money on? I just want people to sing around me, okay? Maybe there, there was no stereos back then, so he got the real deal. I had a harem as well. Now that I actually can't understand, okay? Okay? I had all the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took no delight in all my labor. All this was the reward for all of my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Wow, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. Okay, not exactly kumbaya material, right? You don't read through the book of Ecclesiastes and go, oh, I feel so much warm and fuzzy emotions in my heart right now. I feel so happy. I just want to dance. That's not Ecclesiastes, but can't you relate? Haven't you ever got up maybe on some bleak morning in February in Eugene and thought, 
Life seems so meaningless. Is it even worth living? I mean, there's nothing new to look forward to. Nothing is ever going to change in my life. People are going to forget that I even existed. My kids are just going to waste the inheritance I give them. You're born, you rock, you die. Okay? That kind of thought. Maybe I'm the only one. Okay? But maybe some of you can relate. Well, let's take a closer look at the verses I just read and allow this unconventional wisdom of Ecclesiastes to actually reach down and pull us up out of despair because that's what happens when you really look closely at this book. And I want to focus on two words today, vapor and God. Start with vapor. The teacher starts this book. This is his opening. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless, which seems like the worst start to a book ever. It's nothing compared to a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It doesn't even compare to it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Basically, the author is just saying it was the worst of times, it's always been the worst of times, and it's always going to be the worst of times. A lot of people probably read the first few verses of Ecclesiastes and go, oh, there's got to be something better in the Bible than this. If you're a new believer and you're thinking, I want to just read the Bible and you pop it open to this book, you are bummed out right off the bat, okay? But these words can seem hopeless and depressing, but you got to look closer. The word meaningless, this is so cool. I know I'm geeking out on the Bible again, but it's so cool. The word meaningless is actually the Hebrew word havel, which means mist or vapor. That's a game changer right there. A vapor doesn't last very long. I brought some Windex because it's one of my favorite things, okay? Just a little hidden secret about my life there. But look at it. You spray this and it's a vapor. That's how long it lasts. That's it, okay? That's our lives. We're not here very long. We're a hiccup. We're a blink. But the fact that our time here is short does not make our lives meaningless. It doesn't mean we should sink into negativity and cynicism and think, oh my gosh, my life is so short, so I'm just gonna, my life's going to be all about drinking beer and binge-watching television and belly-aching about how hopeless it all is. No, just the opposite, okay? Knowing that our lives are a vapor makes our lives more meaningful, not less meaningful. Think of a rare precious metal or gem. They're in short supply. They're hard to find. They're hard to come across. So we put a high value on these things. It's the same with our lives. We only have a few moments here. So those moments are rare and they're valuable, which is why the psalm writer in the book of Psalms says, God, teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, help us to make the most of our vapor. That's what he's saying in Psalm 90. I don't know if you've ever been around a person with a terminal illness. I have many times as part of the role of being a pastor. It's a remarkable time. It is really a remarkable experience because their days are numbered. All of our days are numbered, actually. They've just embraced that truth, and it changes them. They become more fully alive in the days they have left. They're not worried about the details. They don't care about deadlines and bills and the status of their 401k or anything like that. They just know that this life is a gift that was given to them, and they want to bask in it. They want to soak it in. They want to revel in the havel, okay? That's what they want to do. 
I love this line from the poet Mary Oliver. If you've never read her poetry, please do. And she writes this at the end of one of her poems. What are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? What a great question. We should ask ourselves that question all the time, all the time. Because she's basically saying, how are you going to make the most of your vapor? There's a lot of answers to that question. I could give you a lot of philosophy right now, quote a lot of verses to you, but I just want to give you one helpful thing to do this week, and I challenge you to do this every day this week. Get up in the morning and pray the prayer I'm going to show you. It's a short but powerful one-line prayer. Let's put this on the screen. In fact, we're going to pray it together. Let me not die while I'm still alive. That is a great prayer. In fact, right now, could you put your hands over your heart and just close your eyes with me and think of your life? And then on the count of three, let's pray this prayer. Can we? One, two, three. Let me not die while I'm still alive. Vapor, vapor. It's all a vapor, so we have to get after it. We don't have so many moments that we can afford to waste any of them. So in the immortal words of the 80s big hair rock band, REO Speedwagon, live every moment. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. Now let's move on to the second word, God. In the verses that we just read, and actually all through the book of Ecclesiastes, this teacher, Coelette, he keeps bringing his attention back to God. Over and over, God gets his attention over and over and over again throughout the whole book, which is odd, really, because Ecclesiastes is this book about how rotten life can be and how saturated with absurdity it can get. But no matter how much calamity that the teacher sees in the world, he also notices God right there in the muck and mire and chaos and calamity of our lives. You know, for centuries... People have viewed God as up there. Unfortunately, they still do. They always think of God as up there. Watch football this year. What do people do when they score a touchdown? They cross themselves and then look up. Really? God's up? That's what they think, that God's only up there. He's out there. He's out of reach. He's out of touch. Most people think like that. They assume that they'll come into contact with God in the afterlife, but in this life, not so much. So, in theory, they're believers, but in practice, they're atheists, right? And, and I have my atheist moments. I, I do this. But that's why the message of Ecclesiastes is so relevant for us at our, and in our times. The message is this. God isn't up there. He's right here. He is in, amongst, and throughout our lives. He is entangled with us. We don't have to look up to see a God who is far away from us. We have to wake up to a God that's right here with us. That's why Paul echoes the sentiments in Ecclesiastes when he says this in the book of Ephesians. One God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then later on in the book of Acts, he says this, in Him, in God, in Him we live and move and have our being. So Paul is echoing Ecclesiastes there. He knows that God isn't just up there. He knows that God is entangled with us. And when you know that and really believe that, oh my gosh, and then just like the teacher in Ecclesiastes, your attention will constantly be redirected to God no matter what's going on in your life. 
That's what'll happen. Think of it like this. If you walk around with a chip on your shoulder, you'll constantly notice things that irritate and make you angry because your radar is out for those things. If you're an optimist, on the other hand, you'll constantly notice things that cause you to rejoice and be glad because your radar is out and aware of those things. And if you are convinced, if you walk around through your days and you're convinced that God is all up and entangled into your life, then you will constantly notice God everywhere and in everyone because your radar is out from him for him. You'll even notice him in the worst of times and in the worst of places. And this is where we get to, my title today was Vapor and a Proctology Appointment, okay? And this is where we get to the Proctology Appointment. I was reading about a rabbi, a remarkable man, his name's Bradley Artson, and he went through a season of his life that was hell on earth. It was absolutely awful. He was having all kinds of pain in the nether regions of his body, so he made a, an appointment with a proctologist. No good day ever starts with that sentence, does it? Hey, what'd you do today? I made an appointment with a proctologist. Nothing good <laughs> happens after that statement, right? So he made the appointment with the proctologist, and at the appointment right afterwards, he was diagnosed with a very rare and life-threatening um, condition called histiocytosis X, which just sounds bad, doesn't it? And then simultaneously, they gave him another diagnosis. They said, you also have diabetes insipidus. Are those the two worst-sounding diseases you've ever heard? I don't know much about diabetes insipidus, but any disease or malady that's followed by the word insipidus, it just can't be good, right? So the diagnosis, the fear, the treatments, the medications he was on all led him into hitting rock bottom in his life. He was at the worst, darkest moment of his life. But this guy is remarkable. Look what he said when he got there. I'll put it up on the screen. He said, I had descended as far as I could go, and there was God just in time. There is nothing Nothing in the world, no moment of time, no place, no created event that is not marinating in God. That's what he said at rock bottom. That was such a wow moment when I read that because here he is at rock bottom, the worst time in his life, and he looks around and somehow, someway his eyes are open and he notices God right there at rock bottom with him. Oh, we can all notice that. But I've got to admit, I've been at rock bottom several times in my life. Die-hard, dark rock bottom. And I have to admit that it is very difficult to actually do what he did. It's actually really difficult to notice and experience the presence of God when you're at rock bottom or even while you're heading towards rock bottom because the pain and confusion in your life have a way of blinding you to the truth. And... You've got to know this, because some of you are at rock bottom right now. Can I just say, you don't have the faith to see him. You don't even have the faith to believe he's there. Can you just borrow my faith today? Because he is. He is. But here's the truth. You might not notice him at first. Think of it like this. Have you ever been to a party or a wedding? I was just at one last night, <laughs> Brandy too. And there's a lot of people there. And you feel like you saw everybody at the party. You're just mingling, you're working the crowd, you're meeting everybody, saying hi, giving hugs, having a great time. And you think, man, I saw everybody that was there. And then you get home and you check your phone or Facebook and you see the photos of the event and you look at it and you go, oh, 
Bob and Susie were there. I didn't know they were there. I, I didn't even see them. Or you see, there's Oliver and his roommate. They were there too, and you didn't notice them. But they are there because you see them afterwards in the photos. You may not notice the presence of God in your life when you're going through rock bottom. You might not, okay? But he's there. You might notice it later, but he's there. He didn't cause your pain, but he's in your pain with you. And chances are he's using your pain to get you where you were supposed to go, but you were too afraid to go there. That's a whole nother sermon, okay? But know he's there. You'll recognize him later. When I look back at the bleakest moments in my life when I thought God had just left me and had abandoned me, I looked and I could see him working in my life, but I saw it in retrospect. So if you don't have the faith to see that God is with you in your rock bottom right now, borrow mine. Just borrow mine. Just believe me. Just trust me. He's there. You'll see him later. It's also remarkable and miraculous. God's at rock bottom. He's even present in a proctology appointment. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Let me pray for us, can I? Thank you, God, for this weird and wonderful book full of unconventional wisdom, Lord. Help us to see that our lives are a gift. Help us to be people who revel in the havel, who make the most of our vapor. It's so easy to waste moments, but we don't have enough to do that, Lord. So help us to live every moment. And God, you're not out there. You're not out of reach. You're not out of touch with what's going on in our lives. You are right here in and amongst and entangled with us. Please wake us up to that reality. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, that have been blinded by confusion or pain or anger or frustration so we can recognize you with us, even at rock bottom. Ah, we rejoice that you're a God like that. And we celebrate you today. And in your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Have a great, glorious week. You teachers, sorry, you're going back to work, okay? But have